The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Coming up, Bobby Schuler, the grandson of Robert Schuler, who founded the Crystal Cathedral, reflects on some times of personal suffering with his son. So we've been dealing with this issue where um, part of his body doesn't work real well, and he has these seizures, and um, several times he had prolonged, prolonged grand mal seizures that were lasting mm. five, six, seven, ten minutes. Mm. Finding happiness in the midst of suffering, next. Life today. I am James Randall Robison. You can call me Randy. And I have a wonderful guest. Uh, she is an award-winning singer and author and speaker and the undeniable queen of women of faith. Would you welcome Sheila Wall? Thank you. You know, we've got a guest today. Um, his name is Bobby Schuler. Yeah. It sounds familiar. Vaguely familiar, doesn't yeah, it? Would you ring. welcome Bobby Schuler and we'll find out who he is. Yeah. Great to have you here. Thank you. The privilege is mine. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the book, but um, sure. first of all, let's talk about the last name. Sure. Absolutely. Give us, just establish who you are in this whole family tree. Yeah. Well, uh, technically, I'm Robert Schuler III. Uh, I grew up with that name. And uh, I go by Bobby. I always have. Uh, my dad went by Robert and my, or goes by Robert, and my grandpa went by Bob. And uh, the three of us have always been very, very close and loved one another dearly. The very first time I ever took my son to church was to the Crystal Cathedral. Wow. Because I was singing on a Sunday morning and he was, I think, seven weeks old. Wow. And so I brought him along. And I, I remember after the service was over, taking him out into this beautiful sanctuary and all he could hear were the birds. Was it your first child? Um, as our only child, yeah. So I imagine what it would have been like just being a new mother singing in a crystal cathedral. It was amazing. But it was fascinating to watch my little boy, his eyes just following all these little birds. Because I think it was one of those sunny days, and so it was all, the glass was open. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, what a legacy um, your grandfather passed down. And the thousands and thousands and thousands of people all around, millions around the world, who were yeah. touched by the hour of power. You know, he originally starts preaching on top of a drive-in movie theater as a young man when he was my age. And, and he was so criticized for that because he did that in the 50s. And they called it the passion pit, you know. And he decided, I'm going there because that's where real people who don't know God gather. And, I, and also, he didn't have a place to worship. So, so he, he met there on the, on the top of the snack bar. And the Crystal Cathedral was essentially his way of maintaining an outdoor church, you know, in beautiful California yeah. with great weather. Mm -hmm. How can I still be in church but also be outside? And somebody said to him, Dr. Schuler, that's impossible. And he always said, uh -oh. impossible <laughs> is such an irresponsible word. You know, he always said that. Mm -hmm. And so anytime you want your, my grandpa to do something, you just tell him it's impossible. Right. And it'll, <laughs> Those kinds of guys, that tends to be the case. We actually have some footage of your early ministry in the Crystal Cathedral. Oh, do you? Yeah, let's take, take a look moving. at this. Great. That was live. 
adorable. Yeah. Is that what you saw? Adorable? Adorable. I, I saw a haircut that needs to come back in style. It I was saw. pretty awesome. Yeah, the bowl cut was, yeah. was the best. So you had I mean, quite the family legacy. Yeah, um, I mean, the Crystal Cathedral was, you know, the Crystal Cathedral was a symbol of my grandpa's dream, which was to make the church a transparent, beautiful place for unbelievers to come and find God. He also came from a place where he came from a, a Dutch Calvinist 1930s, God hates you, God doesn't love you, you're worthless. And he met uh, Norman Vincent Peale, who was in the same denomination, Dutch reform minister. Mm. He, said, he said, no, God does love us. God, God wants the best for us. And you can be a positive person and a happy person in mm -hmm. God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so even though I might not build a crystal cathedral, you know, it, for, for my grandpa, it was a symbol of God's love and grandeur and, and his ability to, to immensely bless people. It was a way of his his way of saying, you know, you know God really does love you and does care it's, about you. It's nice to hear you respect him and the foundation he laid and the ministry he had. Absolutely. At the same time, it's really nice to see you not trying to be him. Yeah, thank but you. But to find your own path and your own way of ministry, and you, you've done that. So tell us yeah. a little bit about what's going on right now uh, on the Hour of Power and at a different church that's Yeah, so the cathedral here. was lost um, in due in large part just because of family drama and a bunch of other little things. There was nothing big or sexy that happened. It just, you know, things happened. And um, unfortunately, the, the church went bankrupt and everything was lost. While well, that not, was, not everything. Not everything, yeah. The most important thing was actually saved, and that's the television program. Because although everybody thinks the cathedral was the most important part, 3,000 people gathered in the cathedral, but millions of people gather around the television to watch the Hour of Power each week, and they still do. Yeah, and even more importantly, I think you weren't lost in the process. Yeah, because I mean, you know, man, you and I—we grew up around these that's right, mega ministry. Yeah, you know, that's right. Yeah. We see the kids go, you know, yeah, that's right, off and or go weird or get disillusioned yeah, or, that's or right. and look. I mean, you you didn't. What what was the anchor that kept you through the the turbulent times and landed you in a place where you're ministering to others? Well, I think my faith was always my own, and I would also say that my dad and my grandfather were genuinely themselves, the same people behind closed doors that they were. You know, my grandpa was so like, you know, just very over the top, you know. He didn't change. When, when you were around him at Christmas, when he was sitting there in his robe or in his underwear drinking a cup of coffee, he was still spilling coffee everywhere yeah. as he was yeah. waving oh. his arms around. And, and there's something good about that to know that there's not some kind of TV mask right. that they're putting on, that they're actually that way right. in real life, and that the things that they're preaching, they're living it out, they're walking sermon. And so for me as a boy, when you're looking at to the men in your life, my father, my grandfather, my uncles and others, you're looking at men who are, and women, who are, who are living the Christian life in a way you want to model, and it's not just words. And so for me, that was, that was huge mm -hmm. for me to see the life of God be flowing out of my grandfather and my father. And for eight years, every Thursday, my grandpa would sit for hours with me in his office in that tower, and he would pour into me, and he would listen to all of the stuff I would complain about, and he, he wouldn't always try and correct me, even though looking back, I know some of the stuff I said was kind of dumb, and, and he was just loving and encouraging and supportive. And then we'd go fishing together, we, we hung out all the time. And uh, so, I mean, for me, it was, he just poured into my life. And so when the cathedral collapsed, I actually wasn't at the cathedral at all. I had planted my own church. We started at an American Legion building. We didn't have enough money. And so we told God, look, God, we don't have enough money, so we're just gonna give everything away 
So for the first year, 90% of all the money that came in through our tithes and offerings, we gave away to the poor. <laughs> so you did a kind of reverse tithe. Did you exact... kept 10% and gave 90% Well, we didn't away. do it on purpose. 10% was what we needed to pay our rent. So we basically paid our rent, and then everything else we just gave away. We had no staff. Everyone was a volunteer. We allowed people to sort of raise funding for themselves, like missionaries, but that was on their own deal. Every dollar that came through the plate the first year was our way of saying, God, we don't have enough to run a church, <laughs> and so we're just going to give away everything, and we're going to trust that it's either your, your thing or not, and if it's not, it's fine. We'll do something else. So how did the road lead you back to the Hour of Power? So after this church started, it was called Tree of Life, and it was doing very well, and, we were, and you know, we were doing great things were happening, and after the collapse of the cathedral, the, you know, lots of people had left. They, were, they, were, they pretty much dwindled out. There were maybe a few hundred people in the church, and um, they had no money, and there was a whole shift in leadership, and so the congregation invited me to come and, and speak. And so I, we came in essentially thinking that the doors were going to be closed in a few weeks. When I came in, the chief said, we don't have enough to make our next payroll. So you're, you know, we don't know, there's no line of credit. So it's like, you're going to come in and just, so our, our team came in. It's not like I did this, but a bunch of really important people came in and made a big difference. Some large donors got behind them. A bunch of key things happened all at one time where now we're experiencing a total revival. And what's amazing is that we, even though we moved from the Crystal Cathedral, we did like a church swap, so we're in this other Catholic church that we've made a evangelical Protestant church. They moved into the cathedral. We have a great relationship with the Catholic church. Father Christopher is a dear friend of mine. He's a Episcopal rector. And our church is full, and we're buying airtime, and more and more people are watching. It's just great things are happening, and it's been easy. It's just happening. That's yeah. because it's God. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that God honored the fact that, don't you think so in that first year of ministry when you just gave everything away? Yeah. And yeah. there's something, Scripture yeah. says that when you're faithful in little things, God will give you much. Yeah. And as I was watching that video and when you go over and your grandpa just hugs you, yeah. it, can you imagine how that would bless him now to know that the hour of power is yeah. still going strong and it's you that's standing yeah. in the pulpit? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it means it means a lot. And I feel like I'm the one that should do it because I understood why he was doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I spent those years with him. I know, you know, I understand why people criticize my grandfather. He was a visionary and he did a lot of crazy things. <laughs> but I understand why he did those things. And I, I wouldn't do some of those things, but some of them I would. And I, I understand the heart and the ideas behind it. Whether or not I agree with it, I get it. And, and I think that's important in understanding the future of our church. I see some of the history of, of what you've gone through. The, the good, the bad, the you know, the ugly at times. Yeah. Reflected in your book, Happiness According to Jesus. Yeah. Absolutely. Great title, right? Um, what it means to be blessed. You take the Beatitudes, which as my pastor likes to say, it's the attitude you need to be, right? Yeah. And you, you kind of take a different look. Your, your angle from suffering is, is unique. What are, you, what are you trying to communicate there? Yeah, so I disagree with probably most sermons that are given on the Beatitudes. So Excellent. Now, that's because I was trained by Dallas Willard. So I, oh, uh, wow. Dallas was a friend of mine and a mentor before, briefly before he passed away recently. And, and um, most of what I'm talking about in here is just a lot of Dallas Willard re reset in my own words. Stated where you don't have to read it two or three times to understand. <laughs> yeah, what exactly. Saying, right? Is Dallas right. for dummies, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I mean, that's actually really John Orberg is the guy who does that the best. He wrote the foreword for my book and, and uh, he's a good friend and, and did, did, he's done an incredible job of taking very complex ideas from Dallas Willard and making it easy for yeah. everyday people. But, yeah. so, so what are you communicating? So, okay, yeah. so Beatitudes, 
you know, everybody teaches that the Beatitudes are eight things you're supposed to do. It's like the new eight Christian commandments. Mm -hmm. And we believe that's false, that these are not, um, that these are not commandments to, to good things to do, but rather they're modes of suffering. So, so all, all of the eight Beatitudes are ways in which Jesus' audience, when he begins the suffering. So he begins the sermon by saying, blessed, happy are you. That word blessed yeah, should be happy. Two ways, yeah. Makarios. Mm -hmm. It's, it really means happy. Um, Eugene Peterson wanted to translate it as lucky when he, wrote, when he did the message translation. Oh, no. They wouldn't let him. Oh. But that actually gets closer. Like, wow. your life is just over. Like, people, secular people would say, that's the luckiest guy I know. Wow. It's, it's a measurement of the good life. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the Beatitudes are actually a measurement of suffering. So to be poor in spirit is not a good thing. Poor in spirit means you're spiritually bankrupt. Mm -hmm. It means you're doubting. An atheist is poor in spirit. Um, uh, someone who is meek, for example, I mean, there's ways to translate it, but it, it can also mean you're a doormat. Peacemakers are cops, you know, people that always have to deal with, uh, uh, um, you know, dealing with evil all the time, and they themselves are often called evil and misunderstood. The word for blessed who um, seeks for righteousness, hungers and thirsts for righteousness, that word is dikaiosune, which is normally translated as justice. But for whatever reason, because of tradition, we make it righteousness. It's both. But dikaiosune, if you read it, blessed is you hungers and thirsts for justice. It's a mode of suffering. It's somebody whose you know, daughter was violated and never caught the guy or somebody who had their things stolen from them. So, and it ends with blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil right. against you. So. Right. I believe, and there is a school that believes that the Beatitudes are the beginning of a sermon that's about to tell people that no matter how much suffering you're going through, if you build your life on these teachings, you don't need any of the things that the world tells you you need. All you need is this. And if you live this way, hmm. you will live the good life. Hmm. You know, what's really profound about that is that so often I don't think we include that, particularly in our Western evangelical culture. We, you know, we want the good life to be what we understand the good life to be. Yeah. We don't want the suffering. And yet, even in my own life, I know it's at the points of the darkest moments in my life where I've truly experienced that this world is not my home. This is, yes. you know, and that I've truly experienced the presence of the risen Christ in the darkest places, far more than those supposed glory moments. Yeah. And you've experienced that too. I mean, I love the way you interpret, reframe happiness. I mean, you've experienced that with your son even. I yeah. mean, you have a son who struggles. Yeah, yeah. My son, uh, Cohen, uh, he's actually Robert IV. A wonderful <laughs> kid. He's the happiest, greatest little boy. He's three and a half. And uh, last year, actually, the, the week that I was called to be lead pastor, um, my wife was told she had a chronic illness that, that wouldn't go away by Mayo Clinic, so the best clinic in the world. Um, my son, uh, my, my grandmother, uh, Arvella, passed away suddenly. It was a tragic out of the blue. And, and then my son had a terrible epileptic seizure. And all three happened within the first few days that I was called to be the lead pastor. It felt like an incredible spiritual attack. And um, that was actually the beginning of a long journey for us where we found that he didn't have just epilepsy. He had a, a brain malformation called polymicrogyria. It means he has essentially a bunch of divots in a part of his brain mm. that cause developmental issues, seizures, and cerebral palsy. Mm. So we've been dealing with this issue where um, part of his body doesn't work real well, and he has these seizures, and um, several times um, he had prolonged, prolonged grand mal seizures that were lasting mm. five, six, seven, ten minutes. Mm. And um, one time on a trip to Israel over the summer, um, 
I was on my way to Israel and going through Newark, I got a phone call from my son, from my wife, saying that they didn't know if my son was going to make it. He, he, they weren't able to revive it. He had a horrible seizure, and they weren't able to revive him in the ambulance. So I flew back. I stayed in this flea bag motel in New York. Where there was like, you know, a hooker and a gang outside of my room. I couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. I and I, I was laying there worried all night long. And I and I flew home, gratefully to see that my son was okay, but developmentally was having issues. Mm -hmm. And um, this was a tremendous source of suffering for our whole family yeah. um, that uh, I'm still dealing with. You know, you're still sure. grieving, sure. still feel angry at God. You, you, and those are normal things. Those are part of the Christian journey. And, um, and yet through it all, we found that that living the Jesus kind of life and the, the inner life of the Holy Spirit mm. is the only thing that sustained us in the midst of the long nights in Chalk Hospital and not knowing if my son was going to have wow. problems. Mm -hmm. The thing that I took away most from your book was there's a kind of on mission 24-7 about the way you write. And I love when you said, stop, like at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, basically it's stop thinking about it and do it. Yeah. I love that because yeah. often we talk about things that we know are right. Yeah. But then you're saying, Jesus is saying, okay, enough talk. Yeah. Get up and do this. Yeah. John Orberg talks a lot about the knowing doing gap. He talked about that and it's a, it's shows in businesses all the time where a business will, for example, talk about uh, wanting to do customer service. And so they're going to have training on customer service. They're going to get new customer service t-shirts and a new customer service sign. And they're going to have a whole week retreat. Everybody's going to learn about customer service and all of this education from the best pros in the world. And then what happens? Nothing changes, right? It's called the knowing doing gap. And I'm glad that doesn't happen in the church, right? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, exactly sure. what happens. So very often we sit in the church and we listen and we listen to a sermon and we think, oh, Sarah really needs to hear the sermon. It's like, <laughs> brother, that sermon's for you. And very often we don't, we don't apply these things. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about the Sermon on the Mount is that uh, unfortunately guys like Martin Luther, who were brilliant, wonderful, didn't believe we we're supposed to live the Sermon on the Mount. It's just completely wrong. The end of the Sermon on the Mount says, we always say we build our lives on Jesus, but Sermon on the Mount says on Jesus' teachings. Mm -hmm. He said, blessed is the man. Uh, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice right. is like a man who builds his house on the rock. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a difference. It's not just the person of Jesus, and it is. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's also his teachings yeah. Yeah. to love my enemies. Yeah. How many sermons do you hear about loving your enemies? It should yeah. be almost every Sunday. Wow. That's one of the hardest parts. Mm -hmm. Loving my enemies, doing my good works in secret, mm -hmm. um, praying in secret, mm -hmm. having a, what about investing in my secret life with God, the part that nobody sees or nobody that knows? That doesn't Instagram yeah. as well, yeah. does it? It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good point, Sheila, because I mean, that is where so much of our world is, is that our technology is forming people to become even more narcissistic than they're prone Shallow. to be. Mm -hmm. So we become very, very concerned about our public lives and our reputation and not as concerned about our secret lives. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Um, I would encourage you to get the book, Happiness According to Jesus, and watch The Hour of Power. But I want to give people an opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about, and that is to put your faith into practice, not just talk about doing things, but to actually do something. So this Christmas, we want to make it very special for a lot of children all around the world by giving them some special gifts, not just gifts that will end up on the shelf or in the closet within a few months, but gifts that will truly change their lives long term. Watch this and pray about how you can be involved as we share Christmas shoes and smiles. Oh, that's awful. 
That is awful. I can't even imagine, you know, just walking around with this, this toe. There's all the dirt and the gravel. It looks so infected, I'm afraid it's gonna start creeping up his foot. And the thing about it is if he just had this shoe on, just the simple, the, the, the simple things that we take for granted, if he just had this shoe on his foot, this wouldn't have happened. One of the reasons these shoes are so important, walking barefoot, they can contract a lot of diseases. Uh, so, I mean, I'm looking at their feet right now and the toenails are completely gone. They feel like the bottom of your shoe probably does. This year, you helped Life Outreach provide food and water for children all over the world, and they're eternally grateful. This coming Christmas season, we'd like to put an extra smile on their face by giving them a pair of shoes for their very own. And for children who have difficulty smiling because of a cleft palate, doctors are available to perform corrective surgery, giving them a chance for a healthy life. Linda? Malini. Malini. There you go, Malini. This coming season, help us provide children Christmas shoes and smiles. I love seeing that. Don't you like seeing the smile? You know, the thing that's amazing to me, Randy, is I think what Christmas morning's like in our house. Mm. And there's just wrapper, wrappers everywhere. And I mean, when Christian was little, he played with the box more than he played with what was in it. But the simple joy that came to one of those children who just received their very first pair of shoes. Yeah, and a lot of times it is their very first pair of shoes. It's so little. So often you think, if I knew what Jesus would do, I would do it. This is a no-brainer. You don't even have to pray about this. I mean, it's so clear that that's what Christ would have us do, to reach out to children and to give them a gift that will probably change their life. Yeah. I mean, if they've got a cut in their foot and they get an infection, their whole immune system is compromised. But a simple pair of shoes as a Christmas gift could change everything. You don't normally think of shoes as, as a life or death situation like we do, you know, with the water and the food. But it actually can be, like you say, the, the infections... Uh, it's hard to watch. I hate, I'm not a big sh feet person anyway. It, it's hard to watch, but you need to see it because you need to understand that we can do something about it. $3.60 provides shoes for a child. Your gift of $36 will provide shoes for 10 children. Some of you can give more than that. $144 provides shoes for 40 children. And then the surgeries, you know, the, the cleft palate, the cleft lip, and in the United States, we just take care of that when, when, when the kid's young. But in these, in these third world countries, it's, it's a big deal to go in and do a surgery. But we can do it. And that will give that child the ability to smile. And I think it'll put a smile on your face, too, when you know that you've reached out on Christmas to share the love of Christ with, with these children. Your gift of $500 will provide the, the surgery. A gift of 1000 will provide the, the surgery and provide... 275 pairs of shoes. It's a lot of children with a lot of shoes and a lot of smiles on Christmas. So I hope you will do what you can. We've got some wonderful gifts that we would like to give you when you participate. But do you know one just, of the things we want to do? Sorry for interrupting. No, go ahead, go ahead. Barry and I decided, um, and there's another thing we're going to do, which I think I get to do on another program I'll tell you about, but we want to pay for like 40 pairs of shoes, but wrap a present and put it under our tree and inside, um, just put um, a simple card that our son, I want our son to unwrap this present, that he'll see the part of the Christmas money went to provide shoes for other children. That is awesome. And I think it's great to include our kids, you know, because some of these kids, they're not waiting on the latest iPhone. 
a simple pair of shoes would change their life. And how much more do you think you and your family will just enjoy Christmas when you know that you've extended beyond your own four walls to make such a difference? And can you imagine how that will impact the mom and dad to think that someday they'll never meet maybe down on this earth, cared enough about them to take time to send some shoes to their children for Christmas? Thank you. Oh, by the way, my, our joy. For doing that. And, and thank you for participating. This is the last week. We need to wrap this up. No pun intended. And we're going to help a lot of kids. So call. Poverty is a killer. And because of it, children needlessly suffer. Not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. For most of these children, they've never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in the light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections that could lead to crippling consequences, disease, and even death. By responding today, you can help life immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 200,000 children around the world just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes a gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair, and a gift of $144 will help provide 40 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted green antique shoe ornament, a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $100 or more, you may also request a special boxed set of life's Christmas shoe ornaments from past years. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries. And you may request our beautifully framed canvas prints of the Forest Chapel. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. We literally stopped by the road where uh, I say we knew we would bring them shoes and I'm confident that we will because children like these need shoes all over the world. And you know, it's amazing. You may say, why would they stop and let you take a picture with them? Well, the truth is they stopped because I just got out and sat down here on the road and smiled at them and they came over and started sitting down by me. Then we explained to the parents through our missionary interpreter that our plan was to come right back to this area, this village, and bring shoes. And so that is our intention, but it's gonna take you making that possible. And I'm asking you to give as many pairs of shoes as you can to put on these beautiful, beautiful feet of these beautiful children. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your help. I do hope you're calling. If you can't call right now, write the number down, call later, go to the website. While you're at the website, you can watch other Life Today programs. I want to mention that. But I wanted to thank our special guest today, Bobby. We appreciate you opening up and sharing from your life. Yeah, of course. And I appreciate Ms. Sheila Walsh. Love Glad to have you. Tune in again every day for Life Today. Thank you.
has the church, have we kind of moved because the standard of good has changed with our society? Best-selling author John Bevere, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.